So we've been here together and practicing meditation for pretty close to a day now. And I kind of wonder, how are you doing? How is this particular way of engaging and being playing out for you? And, you know, my wish at this time is to speak to what's taking place. And I generally hazard something of a guess at what that might be in order to speak about it without necessarily knowing where everybody is through having been myself in a process like this many times before and through some conversations with some of you in the form of the questions and the reflections that have come during the day. And I noticed as I was contemplating this evening's talk that something in me wouldn't quite settle with the normal, well, I could deliver a bunch of hopefully useful and potentially entertaining and maybe even occasionally amusing sort of uh, ideas, reflections, teachings. That's sort of what's expected usually. but it didn't quite feel resonant with where I was. And I think it's something to do with how this retreat came to be and how, consequently, you all come to be here. And I think I need to just name that, which maybe for me as much as for you. Insofar as, of course, each of you chose to come along, so that was up to you. But... For myself, having in the last few years been quite closely involved with a particular movement that many of you will be familiar with and some of you very intimately so, Extinction Rebellion, I had found myself over the period of my three, three and a half, three and a quarter years of uh, involvement since the last few months of 2018, both inspired by the courage and the, and the deep care expressed in so many ways through that movement and also at times deeply saddened by the impact and the cost that was borne by individuals within that, within that group and and this kind of reflected something which touched on my early experience. I may have mentioned this on the opening night with activism of finding myself in, in situations where I, surrounded by others who deeply cared about something, engaged in attempting to address what was of concern in ways that didn't necessarily seem to contribute ultimately to the the deeper well-being 
of who was there. And the seeming conflict between how that is, that when we care so deeply, we might nonetheless not always care for everyone. And that sometimes might mean not always caring well for ourselves in the context of seeking to care for others in the world. And having taken the, what for me was quite tricky and initially challenging step of starting to speak to the meditation community and the world that I live and move in nationally and internationally about activism, about specifically in this context, the climate emergency, but speaking equally to other issues of social justice, of what we might be concerned with, and there are so many things we could rightly be concerned with in the world. It felt like the sense of speaking to the the world of those who've maybe chosen to sort of work on themselves rather than work on the world and saying, hey, I think maybe the world needs some help here. And those who are working in it and with it would benefit from the contribution of those who've also been involved in inner development. And it was really just towards the end of last year where I felt for the first time that I would wish to speak to the world of activism or invite the world of activism rather than bringing activism into the world I've lived in for three decades I to say, well, do I want to see if I could offer my world to that world in some way and what I mean by that is the immense benefit that I've found in my life through the practice of meditation, through spiritual teachings and reflections that have shaped and guided my experience. And in framing the retreat as I did and as one or another it's led you, some by my invitation I suspect, um, though hopefully not too much reliant on that, to be here. I find myself unsure this evening. Shall I talk about meditation and the journey we're in here today? Or shall I talk more about how I feel it fits and what it offers to the world of activism? I didn't come up with a resolution to that question. So I thought I'd start from there and see where this goes. It's not an easy thing, is it? To sit down or to stand or to walk back and forth and seek to be close to our own experience. It's not an easy thing to be a human being, to be subject to 
the inner and outer conditions and forces that we as human beings are subject to. And so as I said, I find myself wondering, how are you doing? And when I asked that question, I was kind of pleased to see at least a few smiles. Um, And there's a way in which, with some degree of reasonableness, and possibly not entirely reasonableness, someone in my position might feel a little responsible for how it is for you, since I've invited you here and suggested the way to engage for this time. It's usually the case that the first day is the hardest. It's not always like that, so I make no guarantees. But I guess the place where I find myself and where I think it so often comes back to for us and whatever way we seek transformation in whatever direction or dimension of life more inwardly, more outwardly, or perhaps, as I would advocate, in both directions. That we do so because we care. What does it mean to be a human being who cares? Who is touched deeply by the condition of our own life and whatever may be difficult within it. As all of us, I'm sure, have those things within our lives that are not easy. And equally, what is it to be a human being that's touched by the condition of the world, in which there are so many things which may weigh upon us, distress us, upset us, outrage us? To be a human being is to be affected, to be touched by life. To realize that we cannot be untouched by this. We cannot hold ourselves apart from it and do not serve ourselves in the endeavor to do so. is a, I think, a beautiful and a profound and a challenging realization to come to. Much of what we encounter when we engage in meditation practice in the way that's being suggested here, and I'll just say with that that meditation practice, or meditation as a word, is really what, I might have said that already actually, didn't I? It covers so many different things. And so, the particular orientation of insight meditation towards understanding the nature of our experience and what's actually going on in a way that allows us to disentangle our heart from the reactive patterns and the unskillful behaviors that may contribute to levels of, of suffering for ourselves and for others that do not have to be so, that, cannot, that can be transformed. That as we come and we engage in this way here, 
what we start to notice and encounter is not what we might have wished for when we thought of meditation, which would be, oh, nice, peaceful, blissful, happy experiences. And, you know, meditation has become something in our culture in the last 30 years. And I've watched it because when I first came to live in this country, um, and it was just over 30 years ago, if the fact that I was living at a meditation retreat centre and spending a lot of time sitting on a cushion doing very little at all somehow popped into the conversation, that was usually the end of the conversation. And sort of the person just slowly backed away, energetically or physically, and you go, ooh, okay, did I say something? Not always, but many times. And yet today, if one mentions meditation, it's like, oh yeah, I've done some of that, or I know about that, or, you know, you can buy those Buddhas down at B&Q these days, can't you? And you can, nice ones sometimes. It's like, as a culture, we've recognised the need for something that represents what's generally imagined to be a state of peace, of calm, or of bliss. That's the kind of association we have with it, isn't it? And, you know, images of the Buddha are used to sell ocean cruises and mortgages. Peace of mind with our mortgage. And it's like, well, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'd like a bit of that. Maybe I'll go on a meditation retreat. And here we are, we come to Guy House. And Well, it isn't always exactly like that, is it? You know, peace, bliss, happy, fun, delighted experiences. There might be some of those, and certainly some of you have shared elements of that in your experience. But equally, of course, it might be aching knees, sleepy mind, you know, struggling with not quite knowing how to do it or what's supposed to be happening. Is my experience the one that's supposed to be happening? Am I supposed to be having a different one? We come into contact with our experience through this process and there are elements of what we're doing that are about allowing a settling a steadying and an opening of the heart and the mind which when we use those words they're kind of words kind of familiar to most of us and they don't translate exactly into the kind of language that the Buddha used they do in a certain way but the phrase or the word he used translates most usefully as heart-mind which suggests the, the connection and the relationship between the two that in our way of thinking about we often separate them out you know thoughts and emotions though if we look at emotions we'll see that they tend to be with lots of thoughts woven in and if we look at thoughts we'll see they often tend to be pushed along by feelings emotions to charge them or amplify energize them And so being asked to sit and to walk and to stand and to be in contact with our experience, to not have the usual avenues of escape. Is to begin to see, perhaps more clearly, what moves within us. It takes a little time. We don't necessarily see it straight away. But we might start to notice how often we're looking for something different than what we've got. And how that keeps us kind of leaning forward into the next moment, into something different. 
into something other than. And sometimes, you know, we'll be in the meditation and, you know, it goes on for a while. It goes on for quite a long time. And then we rise because we've, I don't want to say foolishly, but we've not quite intentionally looked at our clock or our watch. And we've realised, oh, it's only halfway through. It's really a good idea not to do that if you can manage it. Because, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, that felt like hours and it's only been 25 minutes. And then it feels like hours more and it's only been 26 minutes. When we start relating in that way, when we're leaning forward, time plays tricks sometimes. But it's understandable and, you know, it's not that it's somehow something we shouldn't do. And that sense of we come to the end of a sitting and it's great now the sitting has ended and I can go walking. How many times I've heard of the relief and I can see it sometimes in the faces and the bodies. Ah, finished. Then we're walking and we're walking for a while and walking's fun. It's nice. It's relaxed. It's kind of strange. It's a little bit boring. It's kind of weird. It's like, why am I doing this? It's like, oh, the sitting. We start thinking about the sitting. The sitting will be good. The sitting will be good. And then the sitting and maybe standing and it's sort of like so often we're looking to what's next. And there's a degree of nourishment that we lose contact with when we're always leaning out of where we are into what's next. And of course it's entirely understandable that we might do so when we have an aspiration for our life or our world to grow beyond what it is already. But in terms of where we are, in terms of actually taking care of the human being that's engaged in this, having the courage and the patience to allow ourselves to land where we are is a foundation for so much that is possible. And so we just keep coming back and coming back. It's a little bit like gardening. If we're in a hurry for things to happen, we plant something and we watch the place where we've planted it and go, come on, grow. We're going to get frustrated pretty quickly, aren't we? You know, if we dig it up to see, is it growing yet? Mm, That's not going to help, is it? It's like we have to plant the seeds, the seeds of our intentionality here are what bear fruit. The intention to cultivate this capacity to connect and be present. Left in the soil of attentiveness and care can bring forth remarkable expressions of of life within us. But it doesn't need time. And it doesn't need us to know exactly how it's going to do it. When you plant a seed, you don't need to know how that thing is going to grow. In fact, if you think you might already know, you might know what it needs to grow, but how it does it? Yeah, you need warmth. You need moisture. 
Gee, that's about it for germination, isn't it? Maybe light, but no, I think they can do it in the dark, in the soil. But how a seed begins to grow, that's mysterious. I mean, life is mysterious. How did we get here? Is as good a question as, how do we make such a mess of this? And sometimes we put our emphasis on the, how do we make a mess of it, rather than, wow, how did we get here? How did this get here? So leaving some room for, for not necessarily knowing exactly how this is going to unfold is really helpful. The training that we're engaging in is a, is a process of, we could say, developing something that's latent, that's there, that we all use, that we all know, but that needs to be supported. And just as seeds may need warmth and moisture in order to germinate, and then soil in order to grow, or at least nutrient and support in order to grow, so too our human hearts and minds are not so different. And much of what we've learnt in our culture is how to use this organism to be productive and effective and efficient and produce the kind of results we've been told or we've come to believe we should be able to produce and need to do so. And we sometimes can treat this human organism and this human life in a kind of not entirely respectful and we could even say exploitative way to see what can I get this to do for me? How can I get it to be or to feel or to show up in the way I want it to? And there's something okay about that and there's a way in which we sometimes I think presume we know a little more about where this goes than we actually do. So there's a kind of a trusting that's asked of us. And to begin with, we might not quite know what we're trusting in. Maybe trusting in the fact that people such as ourselves have found doing this useful in the past. People we know, people we've heard about, who've actually said, yeah, this is something useful to do. And that we engage in a training process that it's like training the mind. It's the education that we mostly get is like feeding the mind. It's like feeding information into our system, learning how to use it to produce, hopefully, beneficial results. There's nothing wrong with that. But most of us find, I think, that we're almost too full. There's so much that we've taken in, we can't really digest it. And it's a little bit like, I, I think of this like if one's ever had to care for a puppy. Now, if you know anything about puppies, you know that if you give them food, they'll eat it. If you keep giving them food, they'll keep eating it. And they'll keep eating it. And if you give them enough, they'll be sick, and then they'll just eat the rest and eat some more. And we're a bit like that sometimes. You know, have you ever noticed on a phone when you've had enough and you still keep taking in more? Our world is very good at exploiting that tendency we have to just keep taking in more. When actually sometimes we need to say, oh, that's enough. 
Actually, I need to stop. I need to pause. I need room to digest. I can't take in more or I can't output more right now. And so we do this practice of just bringing our attention to where we are. Coming back to this experience and in that the invitation, the encouragement to the, to the body and to the experience of breathing in the body. And just noticing what that's like to be in touch with that, to feel the, the sensitive human being breathing. You know, sometimes it can seem fascinating to us. Have you noticed it does it by itself? How remarkable. And yet, of course, sometimes when we start paying attention, we start thinking, should I do it differently? Or am I making it, am I affecting it by paying attention to it? And sometimes we are affecting it. That's okay. But you know, one day one of those out-breaths will go out and there won't be another one that comes in. And it's like, we don't know. It doesn't, I was, I was with my sister who, who died four months ago. And she'd had cancer for 18 months and been a hard journey for her. And I was really fortunate in the midst of the pandemic to be able to travel to Sweden where she lives and only just got allowed through the border because I wasn't a close enough relative, they told me initially. Um, neither the child nor the partner of the person dying. And I said, I'm her, I'm her sibling, I'm her brother. Um, there isn't someone else. So it was quite, I don't know if I'll even get there. That vulnerability of human life. And lots of folk didn't get to be with their beloved person when they died in recent times. But... In the last days, as those last few breaths came and went, it's so apparent, something I've talked about many times, but it's the first time I was actually with someone in those last literal moments where the out-breath went out and we didn't know. And then a little while later, another in-breath. Until one of those out-breaths went out and there wasn't another in-breath. And you know, that last outbreath didn't come with a sign. It says, this is it. And we too, we don't know. The vulnerability of our human condition is something to allow to touch us, to notice as we practice, to be breathing in and breathing out while we have this opportunity. And that reflection, that contemplation sometimes helps us stay interested when otherwise it might, oh, breath, car, boring, not that exciting, huh? You know, we kind of take it for granted so often. And what we notice is our attention is drawn to other things. Our attention goes here and goes there. And the way we handle that is really important. Because the tendency can be to kind of quite coercively and forcefully pull ourselves back to here I am. It's a little bit like training a puppy. Again, going back to the story of the puppy. Feeding ourselves with information and skills and learning is, is great, but actually training the heart and mind is about the capacity to receive and hold experience 
not information or particular skills necessarily. And with a puppy, if you've ever trained a puppy, you know that it takes some time. And when you say to a puppy, follow me, or heal is the technical term, isn't it? It used to be anyway. The last time I tried that, which was a long time ago. What does the puppy do when you say, follow me, or heal? No, it runs away, doesn't it? What does your mind do when you say, oh, just pay attention to the breathing, just be present where you are? It goes somewhere else. What happens to the puppy if you say, bad dog, you shouldn't have done that, come back here, you're in big trouble, don't do that again. Puppy runs off really quickly. Pretty soon it decides, that's a really angry person, I'm out of here as soon as I can. Our mind is like that too. If when we bring it back, we say, oh, you have to say good dog, but oh, look, there you are. And with a puppy, it might be oh, chasing a butterfly or, oh, you've done one of those, okay. Or, you know, but whatever it is, okay, come back here. Come back here. Inviting ourselves into the space where we are. Inviting this capacity for wakefulness to begin to grow and develop. And what this means is that at times we're asked to open to and to stretch to accommodate what is not easy. Because at times the experience in our bodies, our hearts, our minds is not something we find easy to bear. And that phrase, not easy to bear or hard to bear, points to an element of human experience that the, the Buddha pointed to as, as a central element to be acknowledged that some of what we experience, significant elements, are not easy for us. And this isn't because we've done something wrong. It's just the nature of life. To be sensitive, to be able to feel, to be able to appreciate, to be able to love, we also will be subject to what it is to feel that which is not comfortable or easy for us. And so part of the wisdom of life is making peace with that. Making peace with the fact that there is that which is hard to bear. Which is not the same as saying we don't wish to address that as best we can. But very easily our endeavour to address what we find problematic comes from a rejection of the experience rather than an acknowledgement of it saying we shouldn't be here. And the truth is that there isn't somewhere else we should be. In a different world, we might be somewhere else, but in this world at this point, it's not possible for us to be anywhere other than here. In the next moment, many things are possible again. So that sense of coming back coming back. Sometimes conditions are there for us and we find we can steady the attention. We find we're able to sustain for periods of time the simple immediacy, the sense of presence, the quality of attentiveness and sometimes that gathers into a, into a field of, of a more effortless or comfortable quality of heart and mind in which we can rest in the experience. Sometimes it happens that way. 
But that's not the right outcome. That's just one of the possibilities. Sometimes what happens is things arise for us that are not easy. And rather than that particular settling, what we notice is that we're challenged. And that challenge is equally important for us. Just as in one sense, if we were to separate out the components of what's being worked here, we could say that the mind gathers and collects the heart mind. But the element of it that's attentiveness, that's the ability to to connect and to discern and to land with an experience, it begins to gather. It begins to, in a way, pull, like gathering water. You don't grab it. Have you ever tried to grab water? You don't get any. You kind of have to cup your hands and, in a way, receive it. And attention is like that. This capacity for being attentive and present, it, it grows slowly through being gathered, through being collected, through being held with, with an open gesture of the hands, we could say, as an image. And over the process of practicing of this, this coming back again into our experience, that, that develops. But also, at times, what we find is that the experience arising challenges us. It's physically uncomfortable, or it's emotionally distressing, or it's intellectually confusing or unsettling what's happening here. And we're asked to see, can I open to this too? Can I make space for this experience and notice how it's landing with me? See what's useful here. In compassion and care for ourselves, to learn to open to what is not easy for us is an essential element of caring for our well-being. If, and to the degree that we're not able to, we tend to bounce off what is uncomfortable. We tend to push away from it. We tend to go looking for something else. And we live disconnected, out of touch with the deeper wellspring of, of our life and our deeper source of well-being that comes from a a connection with our own heart and our own mind and our own being in its depth of caring for the life that expresses itself here and the life that expresses itself what we could call there. So we, we explore what's possible without making demands, without putting a timetable on what should happen here. And just maybe begin to notice there are moments where we're more able to connect or we feel ourselves more fully present. And there are moments where we notice oh, it's more possible to open here. It's more possible to include this uncomfortable experience that's arising. And this is, when we talk about practice, in a sense, what we're practicing. We're developing capacities for connection. 
and the deepening connection is equally supported by the gathered attentiveness as it is by the opening of our heart in the face of what makes it difficult to be present and attentive. And in that way, whatever comes here is of value. Whatever arises can contribute to the ripening and the deepening of the process. And so I notice where the sense of what direction to go and resolved and where it went. Part of what I wanted, and I think that's why it went this way, if you're following when I said, hmm, to talk about meditation or to talk about the, the theme of activism, it feels like it will be more fruitful to pick that up when we've had more time to land. And I don't know if I'm right, but that's what's happened, so I'm going to trust it. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately for you, that's how it happens here. And again, I don't know how you're experiencing this, but I have some idea looking at you, your bodies, your faces. Offering ourselves the gift of a little space to just pause before leaning into what might be needed beyond that. It's not easy to sit with the depth of our care for the world and what is needed to be done. It's not easy to do that. But it also seems to me that in order to engage with the world and the transformation we might seek to bring about in a way that's sustainable, that's self-respectful, and that's actually truly effective, we need to be able to allow ourselves to be deeply impacted by that world, to really let in how it is in order to respond in a way that's truly aligned with that. And so in that way what serves in my view here or my suggestion is what serves in terms of our own well-being when held in the context of understanding that we're not doing this just for our own well-being. We're doing this because we wish to serve more than just that. But that we know that serving what we care about cannot be divorced from also caring for this which would serve. If we have that wisdom, that understanding, then the caring for this is actually part of that. And 
very easily the urgency to act becomes separated from the equal urgency to care for what is acting, that the action stay in alignment with where it came from, out of deep care, but that also is served by the wisdom and the understanding that may be needed in in spiritual practice it's it's my view and my experience that caring is innate to what it is to be a human being we all care even those that we might think don't care what we could say is oh they just seem to care for a very narrowly circumscribed group maybe themselves that's about as narrow maybe even not all of themselves and what we see is the need is for the caring to be extended more widely. But caring being innate is something beautiful in that. Speaking to something fundamental in the nature of what it is that we are. Wisdom itself is not innate. And we see the effect of how much in the world is born of endeavouring to care for in ways that actually cause harm. And that so many conversations I've had, and I imagine many of you will have had, with someone who will present and say and seem to believe that they're doing what they're doing because that's what's the best. Even though it seems to me rather clear that it's not. So it's not that we don't care, I would propose but that we don't necessarily have the wisdom that allows that caring to be expressed in the most fruitful way. And one of the elements of that is the understanding that actually we can't disregard any part of the whole in our endeavour to care for what we care for. We can't leave anything behind. And so meditation begins with making sure initially we're not leaving ourselves behind. And that we bring forth all of what is possible when we move into engagement in the world. So I'd like to share with you, just briefly before finishing, a little experience I had that touched me in a whole number of ways recently. I walked in to our bedroom where my wife Catherine was meditating in the middle of the day, which I hadn't expected. No, she does frequently enough, but nonetheless in that moment I wasn't expecting. And I walked in and said, oh, sorry to disturb you. And she just looked up at me and said, I am not disturbable. My mind is imperturbable. <laughs> and it just resonated. It was beautiful. And, it's, and I thought, just a moment, that sounds like something I've heard before. I am not disturbable. My mind is imperturbable. Ah, oh, we are unstoppable. Another world is possible. 
it's the same cadence or sort of feel to it. It's like, oh, what's that? Where might those two expressions come together? It seems a grand claim, doesn't it? My mind is undisturbable. Or I am undisturbable. And it seems a grand claim that we are unstoppable. Another world is possible. And yet, there might be something in us that knows the truth of both of these. That is at the heart of where we move from. They're not necessarily yet fully clear to us. What might it be to care deeply and yet to be unperturbable? To be impacted, and it's not that I hadn't come in and made some noise, and yet I am not disturbable. How many of us have engaged in something where we've been stopped? We've been prevented from doing what we tried to do. And yet we can still say, we are unstoppable. What does that mean? It seems to me it's pointing to something in the depth of our hearts that is unstoppable. And that physically, of course, we can be stopped, we can be affected, impacted and are. But something here is unstoppable. in the depth of our care. And something here is imperturbable. That can be discovered in each and every one of us. Caring and the tenderness and the at times grief and sorrow and rage that goes with allowing ourselves to care deeply does not in itself mean we cannot also abide with a larger container of wisdom and trust that can hold all of that while we engage and so that's my Reflection for the evening. I'm not suggesting that we're required to attain the uh, I am undisturbable, my mind is imperturbable um, by the end of the evening or the weekend. But that we might imagine, or just consider if it resonates, what might that be for this one, this human being that you this world that we are and this world that we are part of that we seek to bring our love into in the most fruitful way so let's sit for a few moments together.
May our practice here together be for our own deep well-being and for the welfare of all beings and all that lives. So thank you for your, your presence, your attention, your practice here. It's time for some walking and then we'll have a last sitting together at 10 minutes to 9. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.